Good morning, saints of HBC. All right, it's that Camp Abide video woke us all up. There's teenagers keeping us young and simultaneously destroying us. It's the wonderful mystery. I know we sung about the wondrous mystery, but there is a wondrous mystery of youth ministry that it does, it keeps you young. You stay around that age group. Um, there's just that energy there, and yet at the same time, you need longer to recover after each and every time there. Uh, we are thankful for your partnership in the gospel for Camp Abide. So many of you uh, behind the scenes did so much to make that camp happen. Uh, for I think there were six churches, including ours, uh, going all the way from Youngstown, Ohio, to Scranton, Pennsylvania. I think there was one from Virginia Beach area, somewhere out near uh, Wilmington also, top sale. And then uh, somebody, some group that wouldn't stop chanting Roll Tide. So who knows where they're from. <laughs> but uh, they, I, I had dinner with their pastors Thursday night, and they were so appreciative of the effort our church made. And I just said, well, it's because of the people that they, they love the gospel, and they love the gospel going to the next generation. And so whether that was demonstrated in the generosity that, with which you all gave, um, for camp to happen, for scholarships and, and those things, whether it was some of you had vehicles you donated for us to haul out all kinds of students and materials, and they're all in the same category, students and materials. Uh, just, you just put them in the vehicles and go. Um, but all of it happened because of a church that um, I shared with them, Philippians 1, uh, Partners in the Gospel. And that's what it's about. And so thank you for that. Thanks to our own team here for Dan and the rest of the student ministry. And then there were young adults there volunteering their time, people from the worship team and production team. And it was just uh, all for the sake of helping young people to see that apart from him, they can do nothing. That's why we call it Camp Abide, because we want them to know that he is the vine and we are the branches and we glorify God, it says, by bearing much fruit, but apart from him, we can't do anything. And so thank you. We're full in our hearts after a wonderful week. And here we are back in Proverbs this morning, so you could turn there. Uh, we're going to start in chapter one and then follow a uh, trail. We've talked about um, the way of wisdom and kind of uh, likened it to a path. Talked a couple weeks ago about Psalm 1, says there's only two paths, and Jesus repeats, there's only two paths, and one's wide and one's narrow, and the world goes the wide way, and the people of God go the narrow way. And so in that imagery of a path, uh, we'll talk about the path of folly today, contrasting that a couple weeks ago, we were in Proverbs 4, 1 to 9, talking about the way of wisdom. Tonight, today, we'll talk about the uh, path of folly, and so picture, as I can, because I was recently on some paths in the woods out in uh, the... The Brevard areas where Camp Abide was at, uh, the Pisgah National Forest, and um, we did some hiking through there. But maybe uh, you've been up to Boone recently, and you've been on those um, Blue Ridge Mountain Paths, the Boone Fork Trail, or the mighty Rough Ridge Trail, clearly marked out one main way, maybe not always so clearly, but you've noticed as you've been on those type of trails, what, there's many paths off of those trails, and, you know, curiosity that kills the cat, but not the, the adventurer. And so you kind of wonder, I wonder what's down that path. I know this, I've been on this main path, but you see some paths go away from it. And so you ask that question, and the next thing you know, 
you are off the Rough Ridge Trail and you are in a Rough Ridge Trial and <laughs> knees are getting scraped and you're stuck in a thorn bush and it's dusk and you're thinking, man, I, I'm out of water. I want to get back. I'm hungry. Mellow Mushroom is going to close. <laughs> and that's... Um, picture we see in Proverbs. It's very clear from the beginning, from the first sermon Curtis preached, that the main way is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is it throughout the storyline of Scripture, to be a God-fearing follower of Christ. That's the way. But we will see throughout Proverbs today that there are these other paths that we could go down. And um, the problem is that, uh, you know, the bad path never looks bad enough until you've gotten to the bad part. That's going to be the theme of this morning. That the problem is you can't see where you're really at until it's too late. And so Proverbs warns us, and we're to listen and learn, and to look and learn. And that's where we're going to go today, talking about the path of folly. So I'm just going to read two verses to start, kind of frame up where we're going to go. And then we will uh, follow a path. Proverbs chapter 1, just verses 4 and 5. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. This is the word of God to us, truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May he bless the preaching and hearing of the word this morning. The goal of Proverbs 1-7 is to keep you on that journey to fearing God. Because in fearing God, you glorify God. And you glorify God with wisdom in the daily decisions that you make. That actually are the proof, the fruit of a God-fearing heart. It's in the daily choices we make. It's in the fruit of our lives that we so prove to be the disciples of Jesus Christ and thereby glorify God. Proverbs aims to answer a simple question, how then should we live? And it doesn't focus primarily on how I can be successful and happy in this life, though those would be byproducts. It's, It's more concerned on how you can live in a way so as to please God. That's the ultimate aim. That you, by being a God-fearing individual, would please God. The byproduct that is in the Lord's sovereign hands is that you would be successful. That you would be, as Psalm 1 promises, the man that stays on the path of the word of God, not on the path of the wicked, of the sinner, of the scoffer, is that you would meditate day and night in such a way to stay on the path of a God-fearing individual that you would what? Prosper in everything you do. But the aim is to say the path, to follow God, to glorify Him, the byproduct of that. The promise that comes with is He will bring prosperity into your life. And so this sermon today is to talk about, in a broad way, the path of folly. And really, this last few weeks in being in Proverbs, we've preached in it kind of a big picture. And then we're going to fill in some details in the weeks to follow. So this will be the last week Big picture of Proverbs, what Solomon is trying to instruct, the two ways of life, wisdom and folly, and then uh, other elders will preach the rest of the month on diligence and sloth. 
on wise words, on pride versus humility, and on wise counsel. Those will be some particulars, but just so you know, today is still kind of a big picture. And it starts, as we read in 4 and 5, with an ideal progression of healthy growth as a person of faith. Did you see the progression? Verse 4 is prudence to the naive, knowledge and discretion to the youth, filling those young minds and soft hearts with the Word of God. Because if that's not there, if there is a vacuum of God's truth, what's going to be filled in? Lies, errors, unrighteous thinking, worldly ways. So it's to fill up, to give prudence to the naive, knowledge and discretion to the youth. But it's also, verse 5, for a wise man, one who is older, or supposedly, to hear and increase in learning. But this really isn't about age in Proverbs. This is about maturity. And 4 and 5 set out the ideal that as you age, maturity should follow. Reality is there's a lot of foolish adults who behave with childlike immaturity. Just as there can be some youth who behave with adult-like maturity. So age in some ways ain't nothing but a number when it comes to wisdom. The aim of Proverbs is, though, is to grab the people where they are, the young to listen and learn, and the old to keep growing wise. And the issue we're going to look at today is to start with um, what goes wrong from the jump? Let's talk about being the naive, irrespective of your age. We're going to look at what starts us down that perilous path. We know what the way of wisdom is in verse 7. But what's the first wrong step that we make in our naivete? What is it from the get that makes us unwise and keeps us that way? So just a shepherding note. Because the majority of this room, by appearance, would say, well, I'm not naive and youthful. Some of us are trying to hold on to it. Not the naive part, but maybe the youth part. And it could be easy in our pride to say, I don't need to hear this, but somebody else I know does. But Solomon is saying, we all, regardless of age, will see some principle of the problem here in our lives, so we need to listen up. So, we're going to trace that word naive. That's the path of folly we're going to go down. And it's going to be an exhaustive search. And the eight or so times it's used in Proverbs, we'll look at them all and see what we learn because that's the first wrong step. So let's start with the problem on the path. The next time we encounter this word is in Proverbs 1.22. Context, wisdom is shouting her voice in the street, lifting her voice in the square, at an intersection, a two ways to go. The head of the noisy streets, she's crying out. The entrance of the gates in the city, she's uttering her sayings. Here is the picture of the two paths the naive can take. Verse 22, here's her call. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Now, 
as we find in poetic literature, wisdom literature, and the Bible, uh, there is synonymous parallelism in a verse like 22. O naive one is also linked with simple-minded in that verse. It's, it's, it's further defining. And really, that word naive in the book of Proverbs is literal for, uh, in the Hebrew root, uh, something that is spacious, wide open, like an open field with no fence around it. Think about that picture. That's the naive. That's how we all come into this world. An open mind. Now, how does that already gel with the world's advice? The world tells you to be open-minded. But Lady Wisdom is calling out, seeming to say no. (laughs) That's your problem, naive one. And what is the problem with having that open mind? Another use of the word naive in Proverbs 14, verse 15. You can turn there. I'll just read it. Here's the problem with that open-mindedness. Proverbs 14, 15. The naive believes everything. Now the world is saying, be open-minded. But the Bible is saying, the Word of God is saying, no, see, that's the problem. Our default setting, born into this world, naive, is to believe everything and not have the discernment to know between what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's pleasing to God, what's not pleasing to God. Now, just so you know, the naive here, the word is not... Equal to stupid, ignoramus, bonehead, knucklehead, unintelligent. That's not the emphasis of the naive. This isn't an IQ problem. This is someone who is morally seducible. No clear convictions on right and wrong. A heart that hasn't been morally decisive. This person goes with the flow. They're not committed to good or evil. They're not committed to wisdom or folly. They want to remain open-minded. And so they believe everything. And so someone in here could be hearing what I'm saying. Yeah, that's good. And then they go on... Facebook or Instagram later today and see a quote by Buddha that says, let your mind be open and your life will be easier. A spoon of salt in a glass of water is undrinkable, but a spoon of salt in a lake is almost unnoticeable. Ooh, that sounds good. I'll take a little bit of Buddha because I don't like salt water. The naive believes everything. So you retweet. That's good. Hey, how about that comparative religion? Buddha's got some wisdom. God's got some wisdom. And that's the naive. They just blow whatever way their untrained moral sensibility tells them to go. That's what makes them dangerous. First and foremost, to who? Themselves. That's the way the world wants you to be. Open-minded, not closed-minded. 
And I just picture an open field. In fact, I don't even have to picture an open field. I picture my 0.5 acre behind my house. No fence. Road on one side. Stream in the back. Maybe snakes. Neighbor with dogs that always get out. And I move there with Shannon pregnant with twins. And thinking, you know what I need? I need to let my twins just be free-range toddlers. You know, that, that's always a better type of chicken when they're free-range, clearly. No boundaries. No! My first thought was I need to put a fence up. Why? Because I want to keep the good things in and the bad things out. And, and that's the call of Lady Wisdom here. Being naive may seem neutral, but it's not because eventually ignorance becomes dangerous. Now look, we know the adage, ignorance is bliss. And it is true for the young, for the babies. We go to Disney, the kids just enjoy it all. They're not thinking about mom stressing, about losing their children and the mass of humanity, and dad stressing with how many churros do these kids really want to eat? Are they not satisfied with just going on the rides? The credit card's already maxed out. Hey, to the kid, ignorance is bliss. They're just enjoying the time. And, but as this kid grows up, there's still the ignorance that moves into the danger zone. And it's the teenager who makes those choices without understanding the consequences for a sake of a little fun in the moment. Hey, you know what would be cool? Now that I can drive, uh, let's uh, cruise with the lights off, windows down, music blaring around blind turns. Fun, right? Uh, not knowing what those consequences could be. But it doesn't end there. Uh, then there's mom and dad who think their teenager out with the car cruising with the windows down, lights off around the blind turns, never does anything. Not my kid. I went to driver's ed with them. They would never do that. And there's ignorance there because that teenager's really good at appearances, really good at putting on the show. So mom and dad think, no, 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 that's somebody's, somebody else's kid that did that at camp. Clearly not mine. And at each level, there's what, greater weight to the ignorance, greater weight to the naivete. Because with that ideal of maturity comes responsibility. And, and look at the words in verse 122. Wisdom is asking, how long, as in naive one, simple-minded one, you're culpable. You shouldn't still be here. Meaning, this text is not just for the young in this room this morning. There's an expectation for everyone to have moved out of this zone. But why haven't they moved out? It's right there in the middle of that verse. You've stayed there naive and simple because you love it there. You're not just culpable. You're comfortable. It's easy to stay naive. Ignorance is bliss. I'm going to just stick my head in the sand, sweep it under the rug, and maybe it'll go away. Maybe they'll grow out of it. And so you don't speak up. And you just let it happen on your watch. And Lady Wisdom is calling out whether to the perpetrator or to one who sees it and lets it go. How long will you stay there? 
Wisdom is calling out the overgrown kid, a gullible man whose maturity hasn't grown at the same rate as his facial hair. Implicit in this call to the naive and simple is the expectation of maturity. You should know better than to go down folly's path to not be undecided. So your first unwise choice, the problem on the path, is that you won't choose. You are in a state of arrested discernment development. And you live in a mirage of maturity. It's a blight on the evangelical church today. A mirage of maturity. Why? Because no discernment. No willingness to call what? Good, good, and evil, evil. And wisdom is calling out saying, how long will you love being there? Why? Because it's comfortable, complacency. And it's also perilous. And that's what we'll see next. The problem on the path of the first wrong step of being undecided morally, of not taking a stance, of being able to be blown this way or that way by whatever it is you hear, leads then to the peril of the path. From verses 23 to 31 shows the downward spiral and that wisdom keeps calling out till finally it's too late in verse 32, point number two, the peril of the path. Solomon cuts to the chase. He doesn't meet mince words. Here is the peril at the end that you didn't see at the beginning. Naive one, simple one who loved your simplicity. The waywardness of the naive will kill them. Is that perilous enough? The complacency of fools will destroy them. So is naive neutral? Not according to Solomon. This waywardness is a word for turning. Now that word turning is used a thousand times in the Old Testament. Most of the time it's to what? Turn back to God. It's the word we would call repent. But see, the problem of the naive is they keep turning away from the call of wisdom because she keeps calling them. Verse, if, you, if you go back to verse 23, it's the same word. Turn to my reproof, and I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. But verse 25, you keep neglecting my counsel. You don't want my reproof. And so when the time of peril comes, there's nothing I can do for you. The waywardness, the turning away from the call of wisdom to come back to the wise path will eventually cost the naive their life. Ignoring warnings offered again and again. Rejecting wisdom, yes, opens you up for folly to embrace you. And folly will feel good in the moment, but will eventually turn on you. Folly wants to lure you into thinking that this is the easier path. Like Buddha said, stay open-minded, don't put up the fences, don't believe that old fundamentalist preacher. Come on. And it's those wayward ways from wayward thinking. Every time to call to turn back to God's path, no, I'm going to go this way. And it starts out as being naive, you just don't have the moral decisive compass inside your heart to do it right. But eventually, it's because you love it. You enjoy it. It's easier that way. Verse 32, look. It's the waywardness. It's the turning away. But it's also the complacency. Complacency gives you a false sense of what? Security. I'll be all right. 
It says that complacency of a fool, of a wayward, naive one, will destroy them, will kill them. And where is real security found? Look at verse 33. There's the answer. Complacency gives you false security. The mirage that you're okay in the moment. But verse 33, wisdom says, but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease. That ease you want, not an easy life, but ease from the threat of evil. What it's telling you right here is that a warning ignored is just a catastrophe waiting to happen. My kids and I were out in those mountains hiking around. A uh, cool spot outside of Brevard uh, has all these waterfalls. Maybe you've been there. It has this thing called sliding rock. and uh, Signs everywhere, though, that people walk right on by that say, you know, don't get close to the edge of the waterfall. And it lists on there every year, X amount of people die. And then, you know, we turn the corner. And what do we see? Man, I just, yeah, this is going to be the best shot ever. No, they didn't. But I'm saying that's how it happens. One of my favorite places to hike, Vernal Falls, Yosemite Fall hike up to Half Dome. Vernal Falls, I forget how high it is. Um, constantly, people trying to get the best picture. I mean, isn't there so much irony in that? They fall to their destruction trying to what? Idolize self, capture self. I'm at this really cool, amazing thing God has made, but I need to see me. This is just illustrative of what? A warning ignored is just a catastrophe waiting to happen. Somebody will be utterly destroyed because they refuse to listen. How did they get here is usually the question asked. What did I do? Well, Proverbs 14, 18 shows you another thing about the naive that gets them where they are. Proverbs 14, 18. The naive inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. There's language there of what? Something inherited versus something earned. Do you see the difference? Remember a couple weeks ago? Proverbs are designed to make you think. So don't speed through these because that could just look like, yeah, whatever, I know. No, no. Do you really think on what's the problem with the naive? Why do they end up where they didn't want to be? Why are they utterly destroyed? Verse 18, because they inherit It's the default setting on the phone. You inherit foolishness, born sinful. You don't inherit wisdom. It's just not going to come to you by osmosis. You know, if I just sleep with this on my head. No. Naive, as in wide open mind, no discernment. Inherit the default setting to choose the wrong thing, to follow the path of folly. Whereas something earned, this is not synonymous parallelism, this is antithetical, this is, but the sensible, they earn something. The ones who go after wisdom, who hear wisdom's called, they'll be crowned with knowledge. And there is the difference between the two. The peril of the path is that naive first step and that person not knowing what they don't know, never does anything about it. So they get an inheritance and it's foolishness and all that comes with that. But when you earn wisdom's reward, it's because you followed the call to listen. Or as we looked in Proverbs 2 a couple weeks ago, searching for it, 
looking for it, listening for it. It was a full sensory experience, we said in Proverbs 2. Everything about you, trying to seek and find wisdom. But the peril of the path starts with the naive first step, and then it's followed by complacency. It goes like this. It's just one step. What, me? Naive? Whatever. Complacency. That's no big deal. I'll find my way back. Relax. And then it's too late. Back to Proverbs 132. Waywardness. No going back. In fact, wisdom even says in verse 26, I will laugh at your calamity and mock when your dread comes, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they, they didn't just ignore wisdom's call. What did they do in verse 29 of chapter 1? They hated knowledge. They set their heart against it. They hardened their heart to the fear of the Lord. They spurned it all. So in a sense, wisdom's just saying, you're getting back what you gave. And we saw that in Mark chapter 4, months and months ago, when Jesus taught on parables, that the measure with which you measure out God's wisdom and word in your life, you will get a return on that every time. Now, When you disregard it and think of it nothing, you get absolutely zero in return. But when you give any effort, God will do more than you could ask or imagine. He'll give you abundantly as you give what you can. He's he's the giver. He has no drain in his source of wisdom to share. All week at Camp Abide, teaching on the attributes of God. What we were trying to instill in these students is this is the God who does not change. He is holy and loving and wise and just depositing. But he's all these things perfectly in infinite supply. And he says in Malachi 3, 7, I, the Lord, do not change as in the, there's no battery drain on any of those things in me. So keep coming back and asking for more because I've got more to give you. But if you don't ask for anything, you'll get nothing. And that's the perilous path. And friends, let us be aware that this happens every day and in every way to Christians. This is not exclusive to the unbelieving world. Proverbs 1 to 9 are words warning God's sons and daughters named Israel. And thereby the church needs to wake up. God's people. It's a sad reminder to me. I came home and um, one of my kids wanted to look through uh, one of our old photo albums. Shannon's awesome. She makes them year by year. And we were looking at 2012, 10 years ago. Where were we? And we were looking at pictures that that summer. And there was a picture of my, uh, uh, we were hosting youth group at my house. And flipped one page. And usually this is where it's, oh yeah, there was those students. They used to come. No, this was two leaders. Adults. One was one of my interns. Another was one of my leaders grown with his own kids. And 10 years later, both of them are down the perilous path, denying God in any relationship with him. Where did it start? Not heeding the call to wisdom, the little compromises that led to the path of 10 years later. I'm going, I can't believe that. I forgot about that. If you had asked me in that time, I said, man, these are some faithful brothers. Because you don't get to pick where that path leads. But you do get to pick your steps that take you there. 
And the potential for life-ruining peril is at the end of every foolish path. And if you think you're above it or beyond it, you're mistaken. Because here's the reality, and it's one of the most painful things to hear, whether you're a pastor or any believer who loves others, when somebody makes those choices, ends up down the path at the perilous place, and what do they come and say to you? I never thought this could happen to me. How many times have you heard that? That's right. What's, what's built within that statement? Exegete that statement. I never thought. Is that not the definition of naive? I never thought. This could happen. I was a victim. No, you weren't a victim. You took those steps. Now, some do come and admit that. They're just using a turn of phrase. But some still are in their mind, I never thought this could happen to me. They're still in their naivete. It happened to you because you chose it. I never thought it could happen to me. There could be even pride in that still. To me, I was so strong. No, that was where you went wrong. We're weak. We're dependent. We're needy. We're born what? To inherit foolishness. We got to earn the wisdom. We got to get there somehow. But it's one of the most painful times to hear a person on the back end of a series of bad decisions to leads to a place they never thought they would go to say, I never thought this could happen to me. If you want to picture that, our next illustration to talk about the naive is in Proverbs 7. And the entire chapter is an illustration. It's a story of a naive, undiscerning youth. Verse 7, who lacked sense. Proverbs 7, 7. Solomon says, I looked out and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. And what Proverbs 7 or the whole chapter is about is a story of how a naive, simple non-discerning young man gets pulled into a place he never thought he would go that ruins his life because he didn't see the pitfall of peril at the end of the path. Verses 1 to 4 says how he could have avoided it because verses 1 to 4 of chapter 7 is the call to what? Keep my words, treasure my commandments, keep them and live. Keep biblical teaching, verse 2 in chapter 7 is the apple of your eye, the direct center of it. Hide the word of God in your heart that you won't sin against him. Put them on your fingers, write them on the tablet, wherever you can to to buy the truth and not sell it. And then verse 4, say to wisdom, you're my sister, you're my intimate friend. Is that your relationship to God's word? I mean, do you look at God's word as not just these truths to instruct you, but this is your friend trying to always guide you back onto the wise path. The first compromise that the naive young man made came long before the decision. He wasn't determined to be righteous. He didn't say yes to the right thing, which made it really easy to say yes to the wrong thing. So it is with us. If you ignore the call to wisdom in verses 1 to 4, then verse 5 is sitting there waiting, 
Why do you want to call wisdom your friend? Why do you want to walk God's path? Because there is a person, an adulteress, someone who's going to flatter you and try to pull you away, and then it gets into the story. This young man didn't fill up on God's word. He wasn't full, if you want to talk about an appetite. So he was hungry for something else. Proverbs talks about that. Someone who is full, sated with a good meal, even honey offered to them ain't interesting. And you know the danger of when you're hungry, shopping. Coming back from camp, Shan's like, hey, you're going past Asheville. It's the nearest Trader Joe's. Hickory continues to not have a Trader Joe's. We have six million other supermarkets, but not a Trader Joe's. Can you stop there for my favorite snack? Absolutely. Um, that was converging with we ate a really meager breakfast, and there was a barbecue place in Asheville that I was like, we're going to celebrate kids. I had Amos, Joe, and Vera with me, and I want them to see that after a week of ministry and service to the church, we can eat like kings, a celebration at the end for a week of good work. So I said, we'll make it. We could even you know, miss lunch a little bit. We'll um, go to the, west, uh, the, um, the zoo out there, uh, which could use some help. Good night, man. It's like... Talk about, like, I was worried. You know those fences you should have on open areas? I mean, they're decrepit, and there's, but the black bears seem so fed meagerly that they weren't even interested in us. All that said, we're wasting time at the zoo. I'm counting the hours to go to this place, and then I realize the time I thought we were going to go, they close in between 3.30 and 5.30, and now we have two more hours, and the kids are hungry, and Dad is. We've got to wait for the barbecue at 5.30, and we haven't eaten since 8. And I'm like, oh, Trader Joe's, bad move. We walk in there. I mean, the first thing they see, flowers. Can we eat the flowers? No. <laughs> but seriously, Amos turns and sees organic figs. Can we get them, Dad? Sure, I hate figs, but let's do it. Can we eat them in the store? Yeah, Trader Joe's, they love when you eat food in the store. You can pay for it later. I mean, organic figs of all figs. By the time we open the box and oxygen hit them, they started the rot. And we're eating figs, and none of us liked them. But we were hungry. And this is the principle of Proverbs 7. If you're not filled up on the good stuff in 1 to 4, anything could happen from there to the end. Because hungry people eat, and people that aren't filled up on the Word of God will go somewhere and get something they never thought they would want. And that's the perilous path that this undiscerning, naive young man takes. And then you can read 8 through the end of 27 and where he ends up. And where he ends up in verse 26 is this. Many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. You know what this guy's naivety told him? I'll be the exception to the rule. Isn't that how we end up somewhere we don't want to be? Make the choice we never thought we'd make? I'll be the exception to the rule. I can ignore those warnings. I won't go over the side of the waterfall. Why? Because I got these new shoes. They got like these super grips. They're really great. I'll watch my path. I've done this before. That signs for everybody else. That's sermons for someone else. Notice verse 26. Many are the victims. Numerous are her slain. 
He passed through. He thought, what's the harm in going down this area? I shouldn't go. It's a part of town I shouldn't be in. It's getting dark. It wasn't the things he could see. It was the thing he couldn't see, the hidden danger. People rarely set out to ruin their lives, but that lack of resolve to be righteous will lead to an outcome you can't predict. This guy in Proverbs 7 is the opposite of Joseph. The man who would say, I'm willing to lose my cloak in order to keep my character. And it was a right decision made in the present, Joseph made, because he had a righteous determination made in the past. And it's true for us. The right decision you'll make today is because of a righteous determination you make yesterday. You can't predict the decision you're going to have to make. That's going to come at you. But what have you righteously determined by faithfulness to God and His Word before that that's going to allow you to make it? Because you see what happens when the naive try to make that decision in the moment. So last, you might be asking, well, if I find myself down that path or past that path, is there any way back? There is a plan to get off of Folly's path. There's a hope we have. It's right there in the next chapter, Proverbs 8, verse 5. Here's how you get off that path. O naive ones, understand prudence. O fools, understand wisdom. You start to listen and learn again. Maybe you've learned the hard way. But wisdom promises that there there is a way out. If you're naive, you need to understand prudence. What does that mean? Why do, wisdom's calling, and wisdom's calling you to understand prudence. If you look ahead to verse 12, wisdom says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. So what is prudence? Prudence is a sensible, shrewd application of God's word in a fallen world. It's being scripturally savvy in a fallen world. It's not just knowing how God's word works. It's knowing how the world works. It's being able to put the two together. That's prudence. It's understanding both. And wisdom says you need to understand. You need to discern. You need to stop and consider this carefully. And if you do, naive ones, if you understand prudence, you'll find your way out. Verse 12, I dwell with prudence and I, wisdom, find knowledge and discretion. And look where this leads you back to in verse 13 of chapter 8. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That's the problem with the naive from the beginning. They didn't have that righteous resolve, that determined conviction, that evil is something that God hates, thereby I should too. I'm not going to blow in the winds of the times. I know what the word says. I believe it. But a conviction goes only as so far as you live it. You could have all the beliefs in the world about right and wrong. If you don't actually apply it and do it, that's not a conviction. A conviction is what we die for. No compromise. That's a conviction. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of beliefs. Answers on a page. Good job. But conviction comes at the point that you've got to make the decision and pick the path. Which are you going to do? And that's the way out. That's the way off of Folly's path. is not just to be listening and hearing, but applying it with prudence in the world. But the hope of chapter 8 coming right after chapter 7 is that wisdom hasn't given up on you. 
And if you're here today hearing this word, wisdom hasn't given up on you. You can get off the path of peril two ways. And we'll conclude with this. Two ways to get off this path. Listen and learn. Look and learn. You can listen and learn. You can hear and heed God's word before it's too late. Or you can look and learn. You can see someone else go through it and learn from it. Just like I was saying before, hiking. My kids, as we hike, they can listen and learn from dad, warning them where not to go and where to step. Or we can look and learn. And I say, see that guy that just slipped on that rock and bonked his head? See the sirens coming up the hill? Which are you going to learn from? You're going to trust me? If you're not going to trust me, learn from what you just saw. This is what Proverbs commends to us. To listen and learn. Let's start with that. Chapter 9. Verse 4. Here's the naive person's way out. Wisdom still calling. And the imagery in chapter 9, verses 1 to 3 is wisdom builds a house. This is an inviting place. This is a steady place, a secure place, a place that's going to fill you with the good things. Prepared food, mixed wine, set table, servants. It's ready for you to come and live there. A final call to listen and learn, naive. Verse 4, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. That call to wisdom back before was, you keep turning away and I'm calling you again. Come back. Come eat of my food. Forsake your folly and live. And now proceed in the way of understanding. Take the new path. Let's just look at that phrase. Forsake your folly and live. Because some of you today, that's the first step back. Forsaking your folly so that you can live. What I'm saying is you need to come to Christ, who is the wisdom of God. I mean, you can read through Proverbs the rest of the summer if you're not in Christ here, if you're an unbeliever, and you can take some of these principles, and there will be, in God's common grace, a benefit in your life. You can, you can chapter 7, you can heed the warning to stay away from the bad place, the dark place, the dark street, the whatever, the danger zone. You can live long enough to pick up on some of that. But just applying those principles of wisdom won't keep you from hell. And so forsake your folly and live. Come to Christ today. Back up from the decisions you make, good or bad. To say in my heart, though, have I really trusted in Christ as my Savior and Lord? Do I see my need for a Savior? Do I know I'm a sinner? I sin. I make the wrong choices because I'm a sinner. That's who we are to the core. That's back to that. The, the naive, they inherit foolishness. And some of you today, by the grace of God, are here. And wisdom is calling. And wisdom is Jesus Christ saying, forsake your folly and come to me. As Ronald explained up here, Christ's call is not to a greater burden. It's to a light burden. It's the one whose righteousness you need because you don't have it in yourself. You need his righteousness. And you need him because he went to the cross and died to take away your sin. Do you believe that in faith? Do you trust all of your life to Jesus Christ? If so, you can forsake your folly and live and then the next steps proceed in the way of understanding you can listen and learn 
You can hear the call of wisdom. But look in that same chapter, there's another house. And there's another voice in 16. The woman of folly is also yelling. Verse 13, she's boisterous. She's naive and knows nothing. But naive knows naive. Right? A fool knows how to fool a fool. They get it. So she's sitting at the door of her house. And she's on a seat in the high places calling to those who pass by. Who are making their path straight. Who are trying to stay on it. Hey, whoever's naive, let him turn in here. If you lack understanding, she says, come here. But what's she enticed with? The lore of sin and its passing pleasures. Stolen water, sweet. And bread, eaten in secret, is pleasant. That's her offer. Instant gratification, sin's momentary delights. But to get off the path, you have to realize what she's doing versus what Lady Wisdom is doing. One is offering you the path to eternal life, to glorifying God, to fearing God. The one is saying, stay right where you are today because what? You're happy. And isn't that what life's for? Pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Come on, all that religious stuff? Meh. That's the final call to listen and learn, but if you don't learn that way, there's a call to look and learn. If maybe hearing this doesn't push the person over the edge, maybe looking and learning, you can figure it out. If you can't listen and learn, you can look and learn. Proverbs 19.25. Turn there. Strike a scoffer. And the naive may become shrewd. The naive person, the simple, can learn by looking at someone else's downfall. And it says they might learn from it. But we see all around us, every day, day in, day out, people don't learn from others' mistakes. Milk crate challenge, anyone? A couple years ago on social media, thousands of injuries. Rotator tough Cuff tears, shoulder dislocations, ACL tears, broken wrists, spinal cord injuries. One doctor said when he first saw this dangerous internet challenge, he was reminded of injuries he saw when people would fall off high ladders or are hurt in high-speed skiing accidents. <laughs> but he said the difference being the milk crate challenge. This was when people, I almost said knuckleheads, but I'm going to be fair, the naive aren't necessarily knuckleheads, except when they do the milk crate challenge. And they stack these milk crates like a pyramid and who can walk up and get the highest. And no, I mean, you, poof, these things fly out on you, you fall, you break stuff. And he says, the difference between the accidents I normally get in the ER in this is that the milk crate challenge involved elective injuries. He went on to say, so many of these injuries we're seeing are preventable just by being intelligent. It looks like something fun, but real people are getting real injuries. The wise look and learn. You might remember the Aesop fable. The lion, the donkey, and the fox. And these three are out collecting food for a dinner. And the lion says, hey, donkey, go divide it up. And so the donkey gives out equal portions. And the lion, with one fell swoop of his paw, kills him and puts him in the pile to be eaten. And then he turns to the fox and says, you go divide up the portions. And the fox went over and took some 
bones with just a little bit of skin on it and backed away and said, the rest is yours. And he said, who taught you to divide up equally like that? And the fox said, the donkey. He learned from another's folly. Proverbs 19.24, or where I just read, Proverbs 19.25, strike a scoffer and the naive may become shrewd. But see, still that's not good enough because look what it says right below that. Reprove one who has understanding and he'll gain knowledge. What's the difference between the two? The, the naive, they've got to see the pain, the punishment, the consequence, where if you're wise, you can just see, you can just by somebody's reproof, Gain knowledge and and not have to look and learn or not have to have it happen to you. Look, two chapters over, Proverbs 21.11. When the scoffer is punished, the naive becomes wise. Again, the naive still have to look and learn. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. God's saying, "I, I know you could learn by watching someone else's misfortune, but if you're really wise you would just receive this instruction in proverbial form. Proverbs 22.3 The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. See, sometimes the naive see the danger, they see the consequence, they see the outcome and they learn, and then sometimes they don't. And they proceed and go on and are punished for it. One last one, Proverbs 27.12 A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. See, the naive, the problem is they just can't connect the dot between cause and effect. So maybe they learn and maybe they don't. But that's your exhaustive study today of the naive. And after doing that, I want you to turn to the Proverbs of the New Testament, James, and go to chapter 4. Because after looking at the call to the path of wisdom and off the path of folly, here's one thing we can't do today. We can't plead ignorant. Proverbs 4.17. I'm sorry, James 4.17. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do, And does not do it. To him it is a sin. See what we just covered in studying the naive this morning. Takes I didn't know off the table. Because now you've been shown what that first step is. Down the path to folly. It's being unwilling to make a decision for the path that you want to take. And James 4.17 says now that you know it. You're responsible for it. But here's God's grace to us. I mean, he is trying because he loves us with everything in him as a good father to to put us in a place that we don't stay naive. That we don't get blown around. And you know what that place is? The local church. Ephesians 4. Verse 
11. God gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And here's God's gift to us as a result of being around a body of people who are working for our good and maturity and growth in Christ, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Praise God he didn't leave it at the book of Proverbs. But he had an even better design than the ancient wise words of Solomon. He said, I'm going to put people around you that can help you grow up. And how do we help each other grow up? Speak the truth in love. You love them so you speak up. Because some of you may, may have been amening this whole morning saying, Adam, that was my path. And I was the fool. I was naive. Praise God that my life has been redirected. And I praise him with you. But you're still responsible for something. You're responsible to reach back and help the naive ones still on the path. Irrespective of age. Do you notice what Solomon, he modeled that for us. Back in Proverbs 7, 7 when he said, I looked out my window and saw and so I'm speaking up and saying something about what I saw. And I know I said at the beginning, this sermon is for you, as in apply it personally. But it can also be something that you help someone else with. Speaking the truth in love. You see the person who's just making those decisions that they keep getting blown back and forth. And when you're asking them their, their rationale for it, they're, they're spouting resources of bad information. There's no Bible in it, but you keep wanting to, you're holding your tongue, holding back when you could just say, friend, can I just ask you, have you gone to God's word lately? Can, can I be a resource to you? Can I help you? That's what we're called to do. So let's ask God for the grace to help us today and pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that your promise in James 1 is that if we ask for wisdom, you give it. You give it generously and without reproach. We thank you for the truth in Ephesians 4, that you've put us in a church and around brothers and sisters in Christ who have been given wisdom as well. Lord, we have more than enough resources around us to not stay on the path of folly. And that is our hope this morning. Christ, you are so generous to your people. You give us more than we could ask or imagine. And so that we can have hope moving forward today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.